This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi podcast. I am Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, so in this episode, we're going to tackle a dilemma many early retirees face, including me right now, which we'll talk about. When you're on the path to early retirement, cutting costs and embracing frugality often come naturally. However, there comes a point in your retirement journey when it's time to loosen the purse strings and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Switching gears from being frugal to spending can be a real challenge. After all, you don't want to end up with millions in the bank, never having enjoyed the wealth you've worked hard to accumulate. So join us as we dive into the art of spending in retirement and learn how to strike the perfect balance between frugality and enjoying life's, what's it? I don't know if my class is on conveniences. Okay. That's right. Okay. You nailed it. Yeah. This is, uh, this makes me cringe a little bit. I admit just reading this, the art of spending because spending just most of the time I have a difficult time with it. And was that like a thing from childhood where like you've always been averse to spending? Yeah, I think so. I remember my dad saying stuff to me like I went out and bought a new bike and he was like, well, why did you do that? Your old bike was fine. I'm like, well, that's a road bike. And I I wanted a mountain bike. And I remember kind of being a little bit judgy about that. And Money was a thing that you just didn't waste, especially if you could do it yourself, you did it. Like we never paid anyone for anything. We did. I, I can never remember us paying in my whole childhood for one service, like fixing cars, taking care of the house, all that. It was all us. No one did anything for us that I can remember. And then, um, I mean, I wonder like if it goes back to like your your grandparents and like depression era time where they like, you know, saved like my half my family's from the Philippines. My mom's Filipino and like, you know, they saved a lot. They were pretty poor growing up. And like my mom did have like stashes of cash through the house. So there's like one uh, family story we have where I think my, they, they needed to buy a new car. My parents needed to buy a new car and they needed like another, whatever, say 1500 bucks for a down payment. And my mom was like, hold on a second. And she like walked around the house and like five minutes later came back with like 1500 bucks cash. And it was just like around the house. So. Did you ever stumble upon a cash pile? Like you're looking for toilet paper or something. And then here's, oh, look, uh, 500 bucks. No, she's very crafty. She was crafty. Uh, Before she passed away though, she did go around and like gather up the money and like gave it, gave, gave it to us kids. Like knowing that it'd be better to like, Give it to give it to us. Then we'll us like randomly find it, or even worse, accidentally toss it when we were like clearing out stuff, you know, cleaning the house. Yeah, I, I wonder how many stories there are like that where there's stashes of cash. Like I, I can think of one myself where people die or they get dementia, and then all that stuff is just left there. Um, yeah, yeah. In in the future, there'll be like the cold crypto wallets people will find, and they're like, oh my gosh, but they can't get into it right because they don't have the the code to get in there. Yeah, gone forever. So before we we dig in, we do have a correction from listener Bill. And this is uh, directed at uh, me, unfortunately. When we try to share real information, we often get it wrong. So Bill, thank you for sending this in. And if anyone ever hears us say anything incorrect, feel free to write a comment on YouTube. YouTube loves uh, when you leave comments. Or you can shoot us an email, Doug at milehighfi.com or Carl at milehighfi.com. So Bill says this, I watched your recent episode with Amberly. Your comments about the max 401k employer contribution are not accurate. While you're allowed to contribute 25% as the employer, the calculation of 25% of the net income after deducting employee contribution and other expenses, for example, Schedule SE plus the other schedules. So the net effect is the max employer contribution is less than 20% of the gross income and will often be around 18%. 
Bill uh, mentions a fidelity worksheet, which I think people could freely, you know, go check out. Bill, you're correct. And I understand exactly what you're talking about. I understand all the words in there, but uh, the string of thoughts there, uh, it's clear why I goofed it up. And I'm pretty sure I said, check with your accountant. We're not tax professionals. Uh, basically, this is entertainment. So we, we tried to get pretty close. But the point is, if you are self-employed and have a solo 401k, then you do have more flexibility and check with your accountant for the details. My accountant told me exactly how much I'd be able to contribute based on what I am paid as uh, like on my W-2, what I pay myself as the employee of the company that I own. Carl, what do you think? Does that all make sense to you? It does make sense. I have to tell you, Doug, that this stuff uh, pours crap out of me. I can't. I know there's some people who really love reading through all those IRS stocks and they'll be like, ah, just check like Schedule F, line 18B and just like that sentence there, I'm putting myself to sleep. It's (laughs) just, man, do you get into that at all? No way. Yeah, yeah. And then like, the extent that I have is the high level where I'm like 25%, like blah, blah, blah. Like you're in good shape, but yeah, I don't enjoy it too much. And our friend, Sean Mullaney, he wrote a book on solo 401ks. We interviewed him and he likes this kind of shit. Brandon, mad scientist, he digs this stuff too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. He loves reading IRS. I've actually asked him that question and he loves reading IRS documentation. Yeah. And that's great that they do because then they can absorb it, put it into language that you and I can understand, and then we can move forward. Yeah, Doug, I don't know if we've told the readers this, but we're casually bouncing around a book idea about how to be lazy. And this could be a good chapter. Like, you know, we don't want to hear about schedules. We just want everything like one sentence financial advice. Just, Or it could even be one word, 25%. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. That That is good. And I... um We'll have to get on topic eventually here, but I have been thinking a little bit more about the book. So when we were in Cincinnati for Economy, we had a lot of time just chatting, idle time, and like a couple other people would be around. But we actually have, I think, a skeleton of what the outline for a book could be. And I'll throw some stuff together. And actually, you know, for full disclosure, a lot of the research for this particular episode was done with ChatGPT. So I put in some core ideas that you and I had. I massaged some information. I asked for an outline. So there's a good chunk of this content that is, I mean, it's all our thoughts, but it's driven by ChatGPT. And I think the, that would be a way that we could write a book fairly easily. And it holds true to the point of the book, which is, don't do too much work and be lazy. Yeah. And maybe an outline, Doug, is all we really need. The book will be like six pages long with like three sentences per page. If, you, if you're trying to be lazy, that should be all you aspire to, really. A lot of pictures. A lot, a lot of pictures. Lots of pictures. Yeah, which you can do with uh, MidJourney, which is another AI thing. So it's, it's going to write itself. I think you're right, Doug. Uh, yeah, more on that soon. Okay. Should we dive into the uh, topic area now? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So before we we hammer all these points, this is going to be a long episode. So we're going to divide it into at least two parts. We're going to record it all all today, and then we're going to divide it up because I think it'll end up being like, you know, two hours, something like that. So just get part one today, and then we'll dive into part two. So we've already kind of hit the the point, which is when you, re- when you retire and you've been accustomed to saving, and actually, Carl, you're a great example where you were trying to retire, you really kind of buckled down, you were working really hard, you, your savings rate was through the roof, probably higher than it ever was because you were really trying to retire as soon as possible. And then once you got there and you accumulated the huge pile of money, you reached a point where you were like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure like how to change gears because you're, since you were young, you were saving money. You were trying to do things yourself if you could. DIY, um, you know, the the house flips. You work on your car a lot. 
you're working on uh, landscaping and such these days, most recently. So it's really hard to flip the switch and then treat yourself to the things that you want, or maybe you don't even know what you want. So those are some of the topics that we're going to get into. And in talking to a bunch of people who have crossed over that part where they're ready to spend money and say they're somewhere between 40 and 55 or so, so early retirement, they're struggling figuring out how to spend money. So those are a lot of the conversations that we have. We're fortunate to have a lot of friends that are successful when they reach that point. And they're kind of puzzled. They don't know what to do because their instincts are telling them to keep saving and it's hard to switch gears. Yeah, that's a really good point. I know we have some questions in our outline to here to ask the readers, but I want to pose one that I don't think is on there. We'd like people to either send us these an email or share them in the YouTube comments. But I'd be curious, you hit on one thing, Doug, and that's not even knowing what to spend money on. So I'd be curious what the listeners, I think I might have said readers, I don't think anyone's reading this, what the listeners have to say about one thing or even a service that they've spent money on in retirement that's increased their happiness. That might have been a little bit surprising. It could be as, and this is different for everyone. Someone might just enjoy not mowing their lawn. So that became something they do now, or maybe it's a car or something more extravagant to cruise. So if you have any good thoughts on how you're spending money for happiness in retirement, uh, leave a comment. And even if you feel like it's um, silly or extravagant or you're embarrassed to say it, those are the ones we really want to hear, by the way. But you may give people an idea on something that they can spend money on. One that I just thought of, which I mean, I'm actually okay with spending most of the time, but like getting a massage and just like from a health standpoint and like us being able to work out and, um, you know, not pull a muscle or whatever and stay as healthy as possible. Like there's some aspect to it, but when you think of a massage, right? Like, could you imagine either of your parents like getting a massage when they like go on vacation? They're like, Hey, we're going to spend whatever. 80 bucks on a massage back in those days? No, absolutely not. I've never even had one in my whole life. Never? Never, yeah. I've had maybe three or something like that. And usually it was like a sports massage. So it wasn't, uh, you know, fucking cucumbers on your eyes. It was like, they're like, where's the knot? Like, and they just keep rubbing that, rubbing that until it hurts. And then you get better after. Huh. Where do you go for such a thing? Sometimes a uh, physical therapist will do sports massages there. So there's, there's actually a bunch like in town, pr probably every town has like tons of physical therapists. Um, but those, those would be the ones that are more oriented towards sports massage for like, um, you know, improved healing and circulation or whatever. Um, but there's like, there's some massage place like right across the street that's more like the spa type place where maybe, um, you get like a facial or something or they, they shine heads. What, what I heard. Nice. So I could go and get the head polished if I wanted to. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and let's see here. We, we do have a couple uh, funny stories of like switching over to like actually spending. So Carl, you're in a like transitional phase where you're trying to migrate to spending a little more money. And, you know, a couple episodes ago, you talked about a, uh, like a Kickstarter to see your favorite band and it was like a $10,000, um, you know, that that's the initial thing. It's going to end up costing you more because you need a venue, there's food, there's other things you're going to have to take care of. So you're kind of switching over right now. Yeah, that's right. And it, it is an experiment. So I've never done anything crazy like that before in my life. So I spent 10,000 bucks for a private concert that'll happen on August 26th. And funny enough, we've been, we were just looking at potential venues yesterday. One might be the that new outdoor area at Left Hand. Oh, yeah, nice. So we are in talks with them right now. But on the other hand, it's funny you mentioned this because we've been talking lately about something else I was debating whether or not to spend money on, and that was this epic landscaping job on two different houses that we own. So we want to scrape the yard, xeriscape it, put up. I ordered the rocks yesterday. I ordered 80 tons of rocks. My initial thought, Doug, you helped me talk. You helped talk me into doing otherwise. But my initial thought was I would move those 80 tons of rocks all myself with the help of a machine. I, I would rent something. But still, that's a lot of work and a lot of time. 
what did you think? And I know you had done a similar project like that on a much smaller scale. How many tons of rocks was your front yard? About 15. 15. And you did do that yourself. And you, and you did it in the middle of the heat too. So I thought you were crazy when you told me mm -hmm. about that. I'm like, man, Doug's going to be dead or something from heat stroke. Part of it was um, a bit of a challenge, right? Because I, I thought other people would think exactly what you thought for some reason. I'm a little stubborn sometimes. So I was like, yeah, it literally was July and it was literally a hundred fucking degrees, like basically every day that I was out there. And I just, I mean, I stayed hydrated, but I was like, I wonder if I could do this. I used to be able to do that kind of thing when I was in my twenties, which like that sentence sounds like it's a dumb idea, like right off the bat, because we can't do the same shit that we did in our twenties. It's a good way to get hurt. But in this case, I was like, there's no rush. I actually have time and we're around anyway. It was in July. We didn't have any trips planned or anything. So I was like, oh, we'll go for it. And I mean, it, it took a little time. I finished most of it within um, two weeks. So I basically didn't, didn't work and just was out there moving rocks. It was kind of therapeutic. It was like going on a really long hike and doing like great physical labor. So it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have a bad time. It was pretty fun, but you have a lot more to do, like a, like a huge amount more. Yeah. I was going to say, I just built a retaining wall, which was 213, like 50 or 60 pound blocks. And I carried them all in place to myself and did all the, did all the digging. You have to level the ground out and it's, uh, there's a lot of fine detail that you have to pay attention to. But the thing is kind of what you just said, it was great exercise. Like I pay to go to the money and lift weights. Like this time it was all free and I was getting something more out of it than just my body. You know, I've got this cool retaining wall in my backyard, so I don't think it all has to be bad. But if you absolutely hate it, or if you don't have the time, like I currently do not right now, you should pay for this. And that's what you helped convince me of with my 80 tons of rocks that are showing up on Friday. Are you able to share how much it's going to cost you or anything? Yeah, sure. Uh, the materials are probably going to be, let's see, the rocks are and we, we have some boulders too, so that's probably going to be about $6,000. And the quote I got for the landscaping, and this still kills me a little bit, but they're going to have a whole team of people and it's going to take them three weeks, or I'm sorry, not three weeks, three days. They're going to scrape all the lawn, uh, take it away, uh, put landscape fabric down, and then spread out all these rocks, put in those the metal edging and do some other stuff, move these boulders, and it's going to cost about $12,000. So why, why does that bother you? bothers me because I think I would actually enjoy it. And I love working outside this time of year because it's not hot yet and it's not super cold. So it's just nice to be outside. It's not even the money. It's just, I guess, maybe what I said before. I know I could do this myself. So why shouldn't I? But in this time, I shouldn't. In this case, I should not just because I don't have the time. We're also, our master bathroom is completely gutted and uh, I'm rebuilding that, which will take at least another four weeks. So I should devote my time for that, which I equally enjoy. That that work is fun too. And and by the way, that would cost much more. This would probably be a forty or fifty thousand dollar project just because labor is so expensive here. Mm -hmm. When I think if I had another opportunity to do the landscaping here, I wouldn't do it again. So it's I think it's good to do once. And I'm like, I had a good time with that, but I'm pretty sure the next time would not be as fun. And I wonder, like you do enjoy like the projects and like, you know, finishing the bathroom, that is a lot more expensive. Like you're saying, I have a feeling you would not enjoy spending whatever three weeks doing the landscaping. You've done that kind of stuff before. Yep. Like maybe a couple of days would be good, but yeah, like it, mentally, like moving the rock wasn't uh, super stimulating. It was fine. It was a good break. I did enjoy it, but there's no need for me to do it again, I don't think. So there is one other aspect, and this has happened to me many times where I've tried to hire someone, and this is before I didn't used to have uh, yeah. the skills I do now, but you hire someone, and I know you had this happen with your sink where they left a cardboard yeah. spacer in the drain. So anytime I've, most of the time I've hired someone to do it, they're supposedly experts, and I look at what they did, and it might take me twice as long, but 
I could have done a better job at it or they screw something up. And that just drives me crazy, you know, right? Like, what am I paying you for? I, if I'm paying you, I expect you to do it better than me. Yeah, that's, that is a tough one. And then if you, if you do it, especially, um, you know, something a little more complicated than just like me moving rocks or whatever, if something goes wrong with it in the future, like, you know how to repair it. Yeah. It is pretty straightforward. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing that because you, you, uh, can use the time and moving rocks while somewhat enjoyable, like 80 tons is a lot. Like if you did a ton or two, you'd be like, oh, that's a good workout. Great. Yeah. 80 tons is a lot. And actually, uh, uh, two more things I want to say. One, one comment and one question for you is like, like this time I actually dropped a retaining one of these 50 pound things on my finger and it got all purple and blew up and I thought I'd broken my hand or something. I'm like, ah, and it turns out it was okay. But there's the real possibility that if I'm moving that stuff around, I might injure myself, especially at my advanced age. So that was my comment. My question, we're talking about DIY stuff is, is massage something you could DIY? Have you ever massaged yourself, Doug? Mm. Yeah, often. Yeah, yeah. But they've got it's those guns now, right? It's, yeah, I, I've never used one, but do you have one of those? I do not. Okay. I, I mean, they, they seem to be everywhere now. Like yeah. e- even at like, uh, whatever, like the grocery store, they have like cheaper th- Theragun type things, right? Yeah. I, I was at a friend's house and they had one laying around. So I picked it up to check it out. And, and, uh, someone else looks at me, they're like, oh, you know what they use that for, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> they're like, well, that's to massage the breasts, to unclog the mammary glands. This lady was breastfeeding. I'm like, oh. Interesting, uh, but okay. I, did it no, work for you? It did not work. I I tried it for an hour, then another hour. <laughs> Nothing's happening. The, the plumbing is clogged. <laughs> they could only do so much. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I we should go. We should go for a couple's massage. That'd be pretty funny. We'll wear our shirts. Do you lay next to each other at the table, and at some part you're like looking at each other, or they're massaging you, or, or do you sit like? I haven't been to one, but I think we can we can get it so that we're our heads are close to each other. Yeah, yeah, they could play Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's get into it. So our first area here is the psychology of frugality, and we're talking the mindset shift from saving to spending. So, Carl, as an early retiree, why is it difficult to shift from saving to spending? Is it as simple as like habits and stuff like that? Man, that's a great question. And I think that's all it is, right? Like you, they say it takes you like 30 or 90 days or whatever. It's some like month interval to form a habit. And if you're frugal and retire early, you've probably been doing that same thing for 10, 10 or 20 years. And maybe you even have a disposition towards it because that's why you're doing it in the first place. I've always been frugal as long as I've ever, as long as I've been alive. My sisters called me Mr. Cheapo. That was their nickname for me growing up. So how do you turn that off? Like I, I quit at like 43. So I've been doing that same thing for well, the first three or four years don't count. I don't remember what was going on then, but you've been doing that same thing for like almost four decades. And even if you're a early, early retiree, you've been doing it for two decades. It's still a big shift, right? Yeah. I, and I think I look at my, my parents, my dad a little bit. Um, he actually retired when he was 49. He was a firefighter. So he put in 30 years, had some deferred compensation, and he started working there back when the pensions were very good. So um, he, like we were generally uh, frugal-ish, but we would still spend a little money here and there. Um, but but my my thought is, my dad has a pension, so it's a little bit different just thinking of the psychology of it all. So he knew he was going to have a pension and it just have like the guaranteed income coming in forever, which is a little bit different for us because I think we we know there's a little bit of a risk for future returns. Have you, have you thought about it in that aspect? No, I haven't, but that's so interesting. And I'll bet if I knew that, I probably would have done things a little bit differently. If you knew, you know approximately how much money you're going to get, right? Yeah. Yeah, you do. And it's like inflation adjusted and, you know, yeah. each municipality will do it differently. But like he knew he was going to get a certain amount. And again, back in those days, they, um, because of the deferred compensation and some of the other setup, 
he was going to get a little bit more the, um, like take home pay, like moving forward, like after he retired than the last few years of his career. Okay. And I know some people who have pensions, I think maybe this is just teachers, but if they have a pension, they don't get social security, right? Um, I don't know those details. Okay. I think my dad does get social security, but it might be to re okay. reduce rate or he may not be drawing yet. I think that might be a teacher thing. I knew a teacher in Illinois and she did not have to pay into social security because everything was within their teacher system somehow, but I don't know how widespread okay. that is. But yeah, I guess there's a chance that the pension could fail, but that probably, has that ever happened or I don't know, is that? Probably, but I think for, so this was in the you know metro area of Atlanta. So I think the pensions are pretty solid there because uh, it's like the boomer generation. So there's a shitload of them, you know? So I think it would be catastrophic okay. if some of those failed. And I think they generally did a good job investing per my understanding, but. Okay. So let's negate that whole thing. Yeah. I think your original question is super fascinating and I'd like to hear what any listeners who might be in this situation, if they live a little bit differently, Doug, I think I, I probably wouldn't have been as conservative. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but if you knew you had a guaranteed amount of money, especially if it's something that you knew you could live on, I'm like, why not spend a little bit more and go a little bit crazy in your youth? Uh, but there might be some drawbacks to that too. Can you, can you think of any, like how would that situation negatively affect you? Just spending a little more aggressively earlier. Like now we, we have the tension because it's a risk. We don't know how much we're going to have. We can kind of estimate with the 4% rule and all that. We've talked about that a million times, but it's not a guaranteed thing. If, if you knew you had a guaranteed thing, and we'll call it guaranteed for the sake of this argument, maybe you would have behaved a little bit differently and maybe some of it would have been negative. Right. I, yeah, I think similar to sequence of returns, if you made certain decisions at certain times or maybe carried a little bit more, say, credit card debt, for example. And I actually have a personal story here, um, which may be a thread that goes through multiple episodes. But if you sort of had like a poor sequence of returns, let's say you have some credit card debt, but you are investing some, and maybe you buy a house during like the Great Recession or just before the Great Recession, rather, you could end up in a situation where you just couldn't, even if you made good decisions, you wouldn't have as good of returns as someone who's five years younger or five years older because they just, they caught the wave as it was going up. Yeah. So, and, and for me, I, this came into play with, um, when I read Die With Zero and I, I thought this was like a mistake that I made in the past, but through different framing, turns out I could justify anything. So, um, but in uh, like the late college time frame, it was actually when I was out here in the Rocky Mountain National Park, I, I think I, I was um, 22, say so it was like 21, 22, something like that. And I, I was about to graduate, but I was like stretching it out. So I actually like stayed in school a little bit longer, like one or two um, semesters longer because I was taking fewer classes per semester. So I was literally like, that was costing more money. Then I came out here and I was one of the, you know, the older people um, working. A lot of them are, you know, 18 to 20, something like that early in their college career. But basically I had a couple credit cards and I knew that I was going to get a pretty decent job when I graduated. So I actually, anytime there was some fun shit to do, I was like, yeah, let's do that. And I would put it on the credit card and I would buy drinks for my friends you know, back then, I mean, it's like laughable how cheap it was, but it was like a big deal if you like bought a round of drinks for your friends and you're like, no, no, just like, let's have a good time. So I was doing stuff like that and actually like running a little credit card debt. I knew that I was going to be able to pay it off when I started working the next semester to the co-op. So it was like school and then work and then school and work. So I never got too far behind. But the point being, I, I realized like, hey, I could I should probably spend some money now. I'm going to be able to enjoy it. And I'm not going to be able to come back to this time frame again and be an idiot in the mountains with a bunch of hippies, right? So in Die With Zero, there are a couple examples where people made seemingly dumb decisions when they were in their 20s, but it was a great time and we're not going to, we can't do that again. 
Yeah, that is such an interesting point. I thought of, about that with Die With Zero as well, too. And he makes the point that it's, and I don't remember how he phrases it, so correct me on this, Doug, but he says, you're probably going to make a lot more money in the future. You're, you're going to make more, and it's probably going to be a lot more. So why not spend a little bit now? I remember he had the one anecdote in the book where he tells his boss it was like his first job, and he had saved $2,000. And his boss is like, you're a, you're a freaking idiot, dude. Like, what are you doing? And he expected the opposite reaction, but right. it's a, how do you balance it though, Doug? I think, I think it's a great thing. I think that's a healthy thing to do. Like one example I could think of is I could have traveled in college. I never did that. Like I had a girlfriend who's like, I'm going out for spring break. I'm like, okay, bye. I'm going to stay here and work at this, the worst job I ever had in my life, actually. Uh, it, she's down there partying it up on spring break and I'm working a 12 hour shift for six days straight. Or like going to Europe or doing some of this stuff. That's gone. I can't take it back. But I think there has to be a little bit of a balance. You can't get into trouble and you have to know, you have to be optimistic that the future is going to bring you more money and you're going to be able to pay this back. But yeah, where's yeah. the balance there, Doug? Yeah, it's tough. I, I think you can only uh, like point out the the success or mistakes afterwards because you don't know how it's going to work out. So there's probably some scenario where like I had a good time, I followed that and I like kept maybe like drifting around a little too much. So I did have some friends and peers that would, they, they kept um, like going from seasonal job to seasonal job, which sounds pretty good. But it, if you get stuck in that kind of rut, there were some people that had been doing it for like eight years. And you can pull out of it, but it's a little bit harder if you're into that routine and that's kind of your lifestyle. Um, that said, I mean, actually Amberly, she traveled, I mean, she didn't do that specifically. Amberly Grant, she traveled a ton, like basically through her twenties and then went to school, got the same degrees that like you and I would have gotten in the same sort of job. So like she really did a good job capitalizing it didn't go into debt, like all the kind of ideas that like we would probably uh, champion at this point. Of course, she's younger than us, so she has the benefit of learning from our mistakes. Yeah. And her partner too, John, he went oh, from yeah. like Canada to the tip of South America on a motorcycle. Like, how awesome is that? I'm like, were you worried about any safety? It's like, nah, I just went for it. It was great. One time uh, a motorcycle gang in Mexico helped me out when I broke down. Like, yeah, really yeah, I think it's a healthy attitude, but now he's working. So yeah, you just so. have to know you're going to have to pay your dues at some point. You're just going to pay him a little bit after instead of before, perhaps. So one thing that it actually probably hits home for you pretty well, if something will bring you happiness, uh, whether it's like travel or um, maybe like stuff, why not find a way to get it before retirement? And I think that idea was really like crystallized for me when I read the four hour work week and going through the dreamline exercise where you write down your dreams and put a timeline and essentially you figure out how much it costs to do something. And, you know, one of the areas that we, um, Elizabeth and I explored was just kind of slow travel and trying to figure out like, what do we like to live in a certain spot without fully committing and like buying a house in that area? Or something like that, like something that's harder to reel back in, but to make decisions to test out certain ideas to see if we liked it in a temporary way that's easy to reverse. So we slow traveled out to Montana. We spent three months there, traveled around a little bit. We ended up moving there for a little while, but it was a good way to test it before we um, you know, fully moved. We could go buy a place somewhere else if we wanted to. So did you do any kind of like testing like that? No, I did none of that, unfortunately. Uh, we've learned to let go lately, but yeah, it's kind of sad. My ass is almost 50 and uh, yeah, nothing. I, I can't even think of. <laughs> and you never really lived. You're 50 years old. No, I, I'm just kidding. I, I have lived and now death is around me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the one caveat I have to this is the whole happiness thing. And I can think of a couple some people at my first job, like everyone was very, it, they loved cars and they all, like anytime someone would buy a new car, they would send an email to the whole department with a picture of this thing. Like, I just bought this Tahoe or whatever. And 
So I think you definitely should find a way to buy what makes you happy, but you should also be careful about what you think makes you happy. Like I remember this one dude, he bought, he was like 25 and he bought like this Tahoe, like the biggest eight-seater thing you could to drive himself back and forth to work. Like, hi, he's just like, well, that's, that's the culture here. He lived in a different part of the country. That's what people do. I'm like, I don't know. Is that thing? Be careful what you think might make you, what you think what will make you happy might, nece- might not necessarily make you happy. It's just a manifestation of your ego or how you think you look to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you've done something more recently, right? Specifically with cars. And I think in the, you know, the FI community, we like to shit on people that uh, like cars. But if you like cars, that's cool. That's totally fine. But you rented a Tesla a couple of times, right? Yeah, I rented a Tesla. And Doug, I guess to back up a second, I did buy one experience. I owned the Acura NSX. It was 45000 bucks. So yeah, I did do that as a happiness experiment. Cool. And was it, I mean, did it make you happier? Uh, I guess owning the NSX, I've always wanted one. So it got it out of my system. Now I no longer want to own that thing. It was fun, but it also came with stress too. You've got this nice, expensive thing in your garage. You're always worried about some ding dong hitting you on the on the expressway, which almost happened a couple times. Um, yeah, I, I guess it was nice. I don't regret it, which I guess is the best thing I could say about it. And we bought and sold it for the exact same amount of money. Yeah, and like you said, we rented the Tesla, which was great too. That that actually convinced me that I will buy one. It'll probably be a year from now. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. It's not going to change anything on our financial bottom line. Right, and I think you know renting stuff is a really smart way to do it. And that literally, that was like in the four-hour work week. Like, you know, you could rent a, what, a Ferrari for a week and it's going to be much cheaper and you don't have to worry about insurance and the headaches and like scratches or whatever. I mean, I guess you would. You don't want to scratch up something you're renting. But for for travel, I mean, we still do that. And I think maybe not too long ago in an episode, we had like a little debate because you were like, oh, we'd love to get like a vacation house. And I'm like, it would be way easier and cheaper if you just rent it ad hoc um like wherever you want to go and then you can go to different places and you don't have to furnish it and do all this other shit associated with owning a house which there's value to both like to just have your spot that you show up and everything's perfect how you want it but there's certainly overhead to it yep. so can you think of anything else you could rent as an experience any other things like that yeah i mean it, every experience is renting something right if you go on vacation you're renting another part of the world for a little bit of time to spend your life in uh, yeah I, I guess renting is a funny word but yeah i, I can't all. think of anything else okay Cool. Well, that's pretty good. And we've kind of been talking about it, but any specific practical strategies to help change our mindset to become more comfortable with spending? So, you know, you talked about habit change. Are are there any things, uh, I'll buy you some time, but any things that you could think of that are really practical? And I know one anti thing that you and I both do is when we're buying like groceries or something, we'll look at that per ounce or per unit price. And I'm like, oh man, I'm not going to pay like three cents more per ounce. I'm not a sucker. And I do it every fucking time. Like I always do. Or like the cheap, um, the meat that's about to expire at the store. Yeah. I've, I always buy that, man. Yeah. And you know, it's good for a couple of days after the freshest day too. I mean, you, you test it out, maybe smell it, but yeah. Yeah. Those dates are very conservative. Yeah. So I do that stuff and I'm saving like pennies uh, for no reason, but I feel good when I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get the, um, whatever, 400 ounces of something instead of like 40 ounces. I'm buying in like extreme bulk. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, we actually have another product announcement, which I just remembered, but I'll answer this question first before we get to that and the next section. But I think if you're on the fire path and you want to retire early, the two things you need to get right, and there's a million different ways to get these things right, are houses and cars. You want to live in a modest house or house hack it somewhere, some way. And have a modest car that doesn't have, that doesn't cost a lot to maintain and have big pay bits. And after that, if you can get those two things right, unless your hobby is like um, horses or some shit like that or flying planes, I think you're probably going to be okay and you should let loose and spend money on things that you think are really going to make you happy. Maybe you like sports or I don't know, maybe you're a movie buff and you have a great sound system in your basement. 
But yeah, go for it. Just get the big things right. Yeah. And I think actually I'm probably a pretty good example. So I didn't save as well. I bought a house at a really bad time in 2005. I had a foreclosure. I There's a handful of other like dumb mistakes. Didn't invest as much as I should have like in those sort of down years between dot-com bubble and say like 2012. I think that was another, I, I mean, I could have saved a whole lot more money, but I just didn't. I actually started house ha- hacking, but like failed to pay off the mortgage and that's the house that went into foreclosure and all that stuff. So you can even screw up a handful of things if you are directionally, like generally moving in the right direction and still come out okay. Maybe foreclosure is a little bit of a house hack too, right? Uh, You know what? It turned out great. It turned out great for me. I had other stuff sort of planned and really did a good job, I think, with the the risk assessment um, so that I knew the downside. And I was like, yeah, this is a good gamble. And it was a great gamble. I got rid of like 150K of debt in, um, you know, whatever, six months. And I just had to pay the taxes on it. So it was like 18,000 bucks. Nice. That could be in our lazy book. I don't know if that opportunity will present <laughs> itself, but yeah. Yeah. So d- entertainment only, this is not mortgage advice at all. This so. is not any kind of advice <laughs> whatsoever. But Doug, we do have a new product announcement. We've been coming out with a lot of stuff. We had our episode, a couple episodes ago, we announced a DIY product based on the work I've been doing called Carl's Quick Hardening Caulk, C-A-U-L-K, which is a product that helps you get your projects done fast because it dries very quickly. Again, Carl's Quick Hardening Caulk, these will all be on the site. We just announced the Speedo. We're going to actually take pictures after this. But the other one is the Mile Hi-Fi Personal Massager. Like, we've got that collaboration, I think, who is it, Adam and Eve, maybe? We're going to have a private label yeah, personal massager. Yeah, and actually part of the prototype is from this flamingo. So the people that can't see it, imagine the flamingo head, but you can see the really, um, it's very curved, you know? So you get all those nooks and crannies. Yeah, you could fit that into different places, whether you're male or female. It's, yeah. It's for everyone. Well, different sizes, it's going to be different heads, different attachments. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't want to get it into the... Uh, into the bathtub or wet or a hot tub or anything like that. We're still working on some of the electrical and uh, stuff like that. And I think actually the quick hardening cock may be able to seal it up just right. I, I think so too. But yeah, be careful. We, we did have an incident with the uh, bathtub testing. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be okay for that person. But yeah, stay tuned for that. Yeah. Who, who was testing it? Oh, it was some <laughs> person we hired from Fiverr. And um, yeah, we have to look and uh, see what the lawsuit situation is between that country and ours, but I, I think it's going to be okay. Our attorney says- uh, There's no extradition uh, yeah, for that country. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So this could be like eight episodes. We're only through like the first bullet point. Okay. Next is fear of running out of money, which I, I think we kind of, like we alluded to it earlier, but um, in the, for example, the pension situation, like, you know, you're going to get paid and you don't have to worry as much about returns or market performance. So that's one of the issues. And I guess, Carl, when you were starting to learn about FIRE and the 4% rule, did you have any reservations on trusting the numbers and the spreadsheet and 4% rule generally? I did have reservations, but they didn't give me any hesitance because I always thought if uh, I'm pretty frugal, and if you're frugal and if you're flexible, the two Fs, you could figure something out. I would just go back to work. And, and the frugality part's important here because if you don't spend a lot of money, I don't need to necessarily go back to my high-paying computer software job. I could get like Costco, I think, right down the street. They're paying like 20 bucks an hour. That, that's more than I made on my first job. And I know inflation and it's different, but Still a good chunk of change. You probably get free hot dogs there. So before I go off on a, on a huge tangent, I, I would say, no, it didn't give me reservations, although I didn't quite trust it. Okay. And for me, I think I don't necessarily um, like inherently trust it because things could be different in the future, right? Some economic, uh, huge macroeconomic thing could change things a little bit. So 
I'm not worried about it though. I think that's that's the difference and actually like a friction point with my wife and I is she is very risk averse and doesn't necessarily trust the 4% rule. So even like a 3% rule wouldn't necessarily make her feel totally comfortable. Like she would find issues with that also. So it has been again, a friction point and like hard to navigate. And the, th- the thing is like, if you're relatively frugal or I mean, the thing is, if you, I'm like, we're both still working. So it's almost like it, it doesn't matter. It, like yeah. the fine points of the 4% rule or 3.25, it doesn't really matter that much. If you just work for a couple years here and there and earn a little bit of money to offset any issues you might have with returns or sequence of returns, it pretty much erases any of that, like pretty, pretty fast. And we're not calculating other things like maybe we get social security or maybe at some point we don't have a mortgage, right? Like that changes things dramatically. Um, but I mean, I, I respect people that say, ah, you know what, I, the 4% rule, I'm not really sure. But at some point, I think these advanced conversations, people understand that like there's a lot of other factors you can cut back here and there. You don't have to um, take these super expensive vacations or you could take them during the up years instead of the down years and just be flexible. Yeah, you just pivot. You reevaluate your situation every month or every year and go from there. It always, Doug, it always drives me nuts when you hear people say like, well, I don't really like my job and now I'm at like a 3.8% withdrawal rate. But if I get down to like 3.1 or 2.8, the Monte Carlo simulation says I've got a 100% chance of success. Like, well, number one, you don't actually have 100% because that's all historical data. No one knows what the future is going to be. But the dude, you're like 32 and have saved 2 million bucks. You, you've probably figured out a lot of shit to do that. And if the world goes to hell, I'm sure you'll be able to figure something else out to get by. So it, it drives me nuts. Uh, we're going to talk about how people... Uh, let's look at so, how can early retirees ensure they have a sufficient financial cushion to feel secure in their spending decisions? And my answer to that would be, dude, just believe in yourself. Like, if if you've done all this, you're probably way ahead of everyone else, and you're smart. So, stop worrying. Yeah. You tell that to Elizabeth. By, by <laughs> the way, yeah, well, it, it's different coming from me. Yeah. You know? uh, how would that conversation go? I don't know. Uh, like. It would be interesting. We can actually, we could plant, plant the seed. I know a couple of Elizabeth's friends, they listen to the show. So you know who you are. You approach Elizabeth and let her know that things are going to be okay. Cause I, cause uh, yeah, I, I, well, I stopped pushing on that air, like that button. It's like, I, I see, like, I can't convince her. Right. And the more that I try, then it's just you know, a contrarian attitude. Yeah. <laughs> so. so so one thing I do too, Doug, is I look at my social security statement and it's not a lot, but between Mitty and I, like we could afford to live on that money alone and all this other money is kind of moot. So why should I worry about anything if that's the case? Yeah. How How long did it take you to shift into that area? Because, you know, you kept working longer than you needed to, right? You had one more year syndrome. Yeah. So like, when did it sort of flip? Uh, it's probably only fairly recently. I think we talked about this in a show earlier this year or late last year, how we lost two million bucks and it was kind of liberating. Uh, I think my mindset around money is that it's a game. I, I want to accumulate as much as possible. And then when that happened, I'm like, ah, this is pretty stupid. It changed my mindset. We should just which is going to make you happier, saving a big pile of money or actually using some of that money to have some fun with. Yeah. But it's been, yeah, real recent, the past year or two. What do you think it took, you know, whatever, basically like four years to kind of shift? Yeah, I don't know. That, that's a great question. It's, uh, yeah, just always been hard to spend money. It's supposed to be a valuable resource that we save and you don't Spend it on dumb shit. Uh, I remember there was one time I was a kid on vacation and I was in some gift shop and I bought a yo-yo for like 10 bucks. And then we went to visit my grandma like the next day after we got back and she was like, that was a waste of money. I can't believe you 
spent that money on it. So maybe it's just the constant statements like that from my family. <laughs> my, my grandma would always be yelling at us to save our money. Uh, that was her quote, save your money. And she'd sneer at us and yell at us. And if she thought we spent money on something stupid, she would let us have it. Well, and the it, it took me 50 minutes to work this in, but essentially the working title of this, as we were discussing the idea for the episode was like, essentially frugality is a problem because once you do retire and you've, you've done a really good job, you have this weird mindset. And I was going to say the fire community is, is full of it because one of the early things that you can do is cut your expenses and kind of get your shit in order. But then after that, you can earn more money, which I'm, I'm a fan of or, or not. You could keep it steady and just have like a better expense ratio and savings ratio. But in our sort of culture, and I've been around, you know, groups of people and the fire people could be a little bit judgy. And you're like, ah, yeah, I just bought this new, I'll make up a fake example. I bought a new F-150 diesel um, to haul, I don't know, like a camper or something. And people would probably judge and be like, that's super expensive. Why'd you buy a brand new one? Uh, bad gas mileage, like there's a million issues with it. And the frugality like bug, I don't know, like runs deep. And I wonder if you being very close in the fire community, you like felt that sort of peer pressure and community pressure to keep driving such a shitty car, you know? Yeah, I think there's some point to that. I've learned to let go of it, but I, I used to care a little bit about that, especially with the blog, kind of a public figure. I, I don't want to do something stupid, but now I don't care. And I would tell others they shouldn't care what other people do either. Um, unless those people ask for advice, no one loves unsolicited advice usually. And it's not going to change much. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a fine, fine edge to to walk on there because I, I'm frugal on some areas, but I'm not on others. So I think, you know, there's a little peer pressure in the community. More advanced people, I think, kind of understand that there's a lot of nuance, but a lot of times it's like the uh, the very enthusiastic, like early, um, or people that are early in their journey, like they're maybe a little more judgy and then they kind of soften up as maybe they earn more money or they see other people. And the whole community shifting too, where there are um, like branded mad scientists and Brad over at Choose FI, they just did a show. And I mean, they're talking more about happiness and not like these core, you know, saving and cutting costs and stuff like that. So the whole movement is sort of shifting. Yeah, I think you just have to be careful. You can't postpone your happiness. But I think, you, so is it worthwhile, like this concert thing I just bought for 10000 that'll probably cost like twelve or thirteen by the time I've got the venue and all that. That would not have been a smart thing to do. And I, I don't think I'd advise someone to do that if they're making 40000 a year at their first job. So I think, yeah, it's a delicate balance, right? Like, I don't begrudge people. I, I, so I'll back up a second. I think the optimal life might be one where you're, you're doing what makes you happy like the entire time and nothing really changes throughout your whole journey, right? Uh, you've got the perfect job and, and maybe even you continue to work the whole thing, but there's no major changes. But in my case, I think it's better for most people to maybe sacrifice a little bit for really big things later on, but not too much later. I, like you said, it's very nuanced, but I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Again, like it's one of those things you can connect the dots afterwards. But like, I think like a lot of areas where we challenge ourselves, whether it's like learning something new or getting out of our comfort zone and like, Oh, we took like dance classes, right? So like completely different area, but like I'm on the edge of what I feel comfortable with. <laughs> and I'm like, this might not work. This could be a pretty bad idea. Hopefully like we're testing it out in a small way. And if for some reason I had a really bad experience and I uh, went to the corner of the dance floor <laughs> and got in the fetal position and like had a really bad experience, I could not do it again, you know. Luckily, it turned out fine. I'm I'm not a natural uh, dancer, but um, I got some moves. I would say. I can't <laughs> no. wait to see him someday. Yeah, but but uh, 
like, I think it's hard and you may have to test things that you don't know if they're going to work. And if you're doing things, if you're really trying to figure out like what works for you, then you may need to go a little bit beyond the edge and then you could dial it back in. It is risky because like we are talking about spending money. So like the concert example is great. So, you know, you spent a lot for this uh, event, but someone could go to a concert or maybe a Broadway show, right? Like you went to New York and you guys got some good tickets and you could be looking. I think someone told me this example from a podcast or something, but you can, you know, get the the cheap tickets or you can get the expensive tickets and maybe that's within your you know comfort area and you know you go to red rocks you can get like general admission or you can get like second row or first row and maybe pay a few hundred dollars maybe check it out and you realize i do like that sort of like closer experience and maybe you explore that a little farther yeah i think there's value to doing experiments well first i'll back up a second to what you said like any of these like we paid a lot of money to go see hamilton on broadway i think it was like 1200 bucks for four tickets but if you've got disney plus or have a friend who has that you can watch the whole thing on there which will be a better seat than you'll ever have for like whatever the cost of that streaming service has it's on there right there and if you google youtube like any concert experience is on there so there's a lot of experiences you can potentially test through something like that but I would also say if you did an experiment with a fancy car or maybe a vacation home, most of these, if you decide it's not going to work out, they're not going to, it's not going to be a huge setback. You could sell the car after a year or get rid of the vacation house. It's, you could acknowledge that you've done this, it didn't work out and get most of your money back. So it's not the end of the world. I think we should probably wrap up for this episode. And when we come back, we'll talk about Uh, potentially like guilt associated with spending during retirement. And as we, as we do wrap up, we, we have a buy me a coffee page and we we rebranded it sort of like buy me a beer, but we don't run ads on this other than Carl's quick hardening cock. And we have a new jumbo size with that too. It's jumbo (laughs) cock. It's huge though. Yeah, you save money by buying in bulk. Yes. Yeah, you don't want to get it on your hands, though. Trust me. <laughs> get the big coffee, yeah. So we'll, we'll put a link. If you want to support the show, you could do a one-time donation. You could do a monthly uh, membership starting at five bucks. And we appreciate it. We just produced this. We're planning on not doing ads and keeping it very sort of a, a tight-knit. We'll, we'll see how it goes because um, we, we are getting great no- donations. You do get extra content. So we post pictures sometimes of like cool things we're doing. Like we hung out this past weekend. Carl ran a 5K and I watched uh, while I was drinking beer. You did really good, by the way. Nice job. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. How, how fast was it? It was 31 minutes, my second fastest time ever. And I hope to beat that at the Berkshire Hathaway 5K next month. So if anyone's in Omaha in May, see you there. Cool. So anyway, uh, buy me a coffee. We could check that out. And the last thing is... How can retirees develop a healthy relationship with money to mitigate fears of like running out? And I have like a quick, you know, little suggestion. And that would be explore the gig economy in some capacity, whether it's like walking dogs or checking out Upwork or getting a maybe a writing gig or something, something where there's no overhead. You don't have to get a job and you could just quickly earn some money. Maybe you hop on like Craigslist and you figure out if you can like do some quick deliveries or something like that. I'm not quite sure, but if you were doing a gig economy thing, what would you do, Carl? If I was like, Hey man, we're going to do an experiment next week. You need to earn some money, try to earn like 300 bucks next week. What would you do? Yeah, I think I'd probably sign on for one of those services. I've heard, and my friend's actually done this, although there's two different variations. What he does is he goes on the service, I can't remember what it's called, but he's like, yeah, I'm driving from California to wherever. And then people can go on there and say, hey, I need this thing moved um, and I'll give you like a hundred bucks for it. So he's done a bunch of those. So I think that would be pretty cool. And there's other people who just relocate cars. So I kind of like road trips, hence this idea. It'd be pretty awesome to drive someone else's car and they're usually pretty nice cars to a new place and they buy your plane ticket and give you some money and all that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. We could do our Taylor Swift album review on that as well, where we drive across the country and uh, listen to Taylor Swift. That's a pretty good idea. Yeah. I I didn't know that. I love road trips as well. 
But that would be, yeah, that's awesome. They pay for your like a one-way plane ticket. Yeah, they do that and they pay you per mile. You're paid for your time as well. So yeah, we could listen to Taylor Swift while we slowly drive across the country. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. Awesome. Well, we will pick it up in the next episode where we'll talk more about uh, frugality and shifting into actually spending money when you retire. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you could do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. In a recent uh, sound check, Carl, I asked you about what you were like in high school. That was the interview with uh, Amy Minkley. So I wanted to ask a little bit more about high school. What was like your PE, your physical education experience? What was that like? Oh, geez, that was probably the worst part of high school. And it's much different now. I have a high school kid, but back then we had to wear these gym uniforms. Did you have to wear those or? No. Really, we had to wear these skimpy little shorts with these t-shirts. And if we forgot them, we had to rent them. And if we didn't have money to rent them, we got in big trouble. And and they were pretty, like these shorts were super tiny. It was pretty uncomfortable. But the worst part was swimming. Did you have swimming, Doug? Or? No, no, we we didn't. What was swimming like? There's so many wrong things with swimming. We, we had this pool. So there's this big pool at the high school and we weren't allowed to use our own bathing suits. So- the only time I've ever worn a Speedo in my life was that because we had to. And how it worked was they'd round us up like cattle into a big shower <laughs> and have us all rinse off. And then my gym teacher, who would later, I think he might have been arrested. I know he was definitely fired for, for uh, creepy things, would stand there and ask us what size we were. And then he'd throw the thing into the air and we'd have to like leap and grab this bathing suit and put it on. Man. It, and he would tell this joke. He's like, how are these bathing suits like the Motel 6? Everyone would be like, I don't know what. He's like, there's no ballroom in there. Like, okay, thanks. Oh, man. Yeah. And that's how you found your love of swimming? Is that? Uh, that really made me hate <laughs> swimming and made me hate PE class anymore. I also had a teacher. He was a, this was a different time. He would yell all kinds of profane and vulgar, uh, uh, yeah, very, very foul things that I don't think, I think he would be fired pretty quickly if he did that today. He was also the head football coach. But the other thing about this guy was he didn't have a voice box, so he had to- You would talk like this. So he, he would talk like that, but he would carry around the speaker with a microphone, so that sound would come out like super loud with all kinds of horrible words. Like the, the worst things you want to hear, he would be calling us and we'd be running around the track calling us these names. And it's almost like something out of a movie now that I think about it. Yeah. I was going to say, did you watch uh, Freaks and Geeks? Do you remember that show? I did. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the gym teacher. I do remember that. Yeah. Who was Biff from Back to the Future? Oh yeah. Did you know that? No, but yeah. it all makes sense now. Which that movie, or sorry, that, that TV show. I mean, it's like tons of famous people now. But yeah, it was canceled. I think there were only like 12 episodes, but it was very, um, it was very like 
dry, like real humor. I mean, it was super funny stuff, but it is kind of like your uh, depiction of gym class, I think. <laughs> Yours is worse, actually, it sounds like. It was worse. I remember that show. I remember the one episode where the kid watches a dirty movie and the gym teacher has a conversation with him. But yeah. Yeah, my I do not have fond memories of gym class. Oh, we had to do wrestling, and I was like skinny and scrawny. They could never find anyone to wrestle me, and I, I think I did win one match, but that was about it. Was it a um, was it like a Catholic school or some kind of religious school? No, no, just Palatine High School. That was it. Just no, a regular. Yeah, nothing special. And I'm just, and you guys had a pool at your at the school. Unfortunately, we did, yes. That's crazy. Yeah. And yeah, I have, I have so many other que <laughs> so many other questions, but this um this is how we're I guess introducing our Mile High Five Speedos. So you you're actually wearing them right now underneath the desk, right? That is correct. It feels <laughs> a little bit weird because we had planned this a couple of weeks ago and now it's snowing this morning. I was going to model outside <laughs> for it. I, I saw you with a camera and maybe we'll still do that, but it's going to look pretty weird. Me and this, uh, the second time I've worn a Speedo in like 30 years uh, after high school gym and I'm going to be outside in the snow. So it'll be a little bit weird. Yeah. But and shrinkage is real. I yeah. can blame it on the snow. <laughs> 